Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wonderfully Made for His Glory podcast. I'm so excited that you guys are listening today because I have a special guest on the podcast with me this morning. And it's the morning. Usually we film or record a little bit later in the day, but it's the morning. And this morning I have Jason Arviso on the podcast with us. And Jason Arviso is my dad. So, hey, dad. Hey. Not only is he my dad, but he is also a dad to four other children. Um, and he's a business owner, and he's just super cool, and I'm so excited for him to share his a little bit of his story and how he's gotten to where he's at today and other places, how, where he's been other places in his life. So I'm going to ask you, Dad, to take me back to your childhood, and when was your first memory of knowing who God is? When did you first meet God? Or, like, you know, how did you get to know him? Uh... My first memory, I was probably three years old. I was sitting on my, my, my father's, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother's lap. And she had a crucifix on the wall. And um, Jesus was nailed there on the cross on the wall. And I remember looking at it and she was telling me or asking me, do you know who that is? And I had remembered from my mom and my mom's family, they would always tell me about Jesus and Jesus was God and that Jesus died for our sins, even at three years old, I would hear those stories. So I sat on my um, little Mexican grandmother's lap and, uh, and one, they had two little chairs, one, my grandfather's chair, one was my grandmother's chair. I remember that in the living room in their house in Alhambra. And as I sat on her lap, she was asking me, do you know who that is? And I remember saying, yeah, that's Jesus. And she said, do you know who Jesus is? And I remember thinking, um, well, he's God. And so I said to her, you know, Jesus is God. And then she looked at me and she said, wow, you know, you're, you're smart. You know, who taught you that? And that's my earliest, rem- uh, that's my earliest memory of, um, of, uh, just my idea who God was, mm-hmm. was that Jesus was God. And that, uh, that's the person you see up there on that, that Catholic sort of icon. <laughs> How would you describe those like, um, beginning years of your life? Like, would you say that, um, they were easy? You had a great, like upbringing or was it kind of rough? Like, what would you say? (laughs) Dad. So, I mean, I mean, okay. So in context, I'm talking about when I was three years old, are you Mm -hmm. saying up to three? Like from three, from ages three to probably like 12, like how was that kind of life? Wow. I mean, that's rough. I mean, so the stories are going to be just little, a little not connected. Um, Wow, you really can't hear everything. I know, isn't that, is that crazy? That, is that the way <laughs> it's fine. Said? Here, that's so how it is at this house. Right. You're, you're going to hear it all. So. All right, forgive me. So here we go. Um, I think my mom and dad were married until I was about three. Okay. Uh, I have a memory of uh, living in L.A., but I don't know why I was in L.A. because my mother wasn't living in L.A. at the time. And so uh, the story I hear was that my mom ran off with my dad's friend and took us off to another state. And so my father and my grandfather drove out to like Arizona and kidnapped my brother and I <laughs> and brought us back to California. And that's, that's why I remember being that age and living in, in, in California. Now my mom would argue that and my dad will argue that and both have their own version, but to give you an idea what life was like, it was chaotic. I mean, okay. it was back and forth. Um, it was loud violent today everyone talks about trauma Mm -hmm. it was a life probably what in today's standards would be called very traumatic it was a traumatic life it Mm -hmm. was it was a 
a life full of, uh, we can romanticize it and say it was a life full of passion, <laughs> but really it was just a life, a life full of dysfunction. Um, I probably went to five kindergartens, um, multiple, uh, let's see, first grade. I went to one first grade, I went to multiple second grades, multiple third grades, multiple fourth grades. I mean, I, I was moving constantly up until uh, junior high. And then in, probably around junior high, we kind of settled here in Amador County. In oh, junior cool. high. oh my gosh. So that's crazy. But during that time, like mm -hmm. during that chaos, would you say you... You were because when you were three, you knew who Jesus was. You knew that Jesus was God. But did you have a personal relationship? Those young ages of development, did you really have a relationship with the Lord, or did that come a little bit later? No, I think I definitely didn't have a personal relationship with God during those formative years. Mm -hmm. It was more of like an intellectual understanding. Like you just knew mm -hmm. of Him. Like it kind was of, cultural. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in a house where my dad's family was from LA and they would have had a Catholic background, right? Okay. They're Mexican American. Okay. They would have had a Catholic background. Then my mother's side of the family would have been from, I guess you could say the Southeast or, mm -hmm. or whatever, right? My grandmother was from Kentucky. She spoke in tongues. She had a Pentecostal background, but she loved the word of God, right? She loved mm -hmm. the Bible. She loved Jesus. She'll pray for you. But at the same time, my family was, my family was a type of family that would, get get wasted drunk I'm, and they get wasted drunk and they would cry and they would sing songs uh church songs and they would there was a type of family that would get wasted drunk and preach jesus <gasps> so it was always just kind of a dysfunctional theological framework mm -hmm. like it, it didn't match up okay know? and that was kind of my understanding so i did i believe there was something out there yes because that's what i was taught from both sides um, there was a God. We, we, we understood who God was through his son, Jesus. You look to Jesus and you see the character of God, except mm -hmm. in the house, the people that were proclaiming those things to me probably had a difficult time living up to what, uh, they, were... what they were preaching. Yeah, okay. Like most of us even still today. Yeah, like most of us today. Yeah. So, okay, so you say once you get to junior high, you were kind of settling down. And I, I happen to know this guy a little bit, so I know there was something that happened in junior high that mm -hmm. was kind of a moment that you won't forget. And I want you to share it on this episode today. So let's talk about when you got your first Bible. Okay. Yeah, so there's a church uh, junior high. We lived in Jackson, Jackson, California. And when I was in, born. <laughs> in Jackson, California, there's a, a small church. Um, it was called Warehouse Ministries. Warehouse... Um, it's kind of where the, it, it, so in Jackson, California, you had at that time, if I remember correctly, you had three churches. You had the Serbian Orthodox church where a lot of the youth would go. You had the Catholic church where the other part of the youth would go. And then the leftovers, if you went to church, would end up going to warehouse ministries, which was mm -hmm. your, you know, evangelical, um, uh, not, what do you call it? Non-denominational church. Yeah, non it was kind of, you know, a, uh, come as you are, uh, Cool. You don't have to get dressed up. It's just, mm. you know, um, it, and it came out of a movement called Calvary Chapel, which is, you probably saw the movie Jesus Revolution. Yeah. So Warehouse Ministries was part of a greater organization, if you will, uh, of churches called Calvary Chapel, cool. which is, uh, which is the movie that you just saw Jesus Revolution, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of, that's kind of their history. So we're at Warehouse Ministry. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. 
So uh, we're in Jackson. Mm -hmm. I'm in junior high. I probably lived here for about a year in Jackson from, from the Stockton area. And uh, there was a group of girls I remember, and I don't know how they were connected, but they were like the popular girls in school. And I remember them asking a bunch of us boys, hey, do you want to go to this concert? Well, okay, where's the concert? The concert's going to be at, uh, at, where, at the church, at Warehouse Ministries. <laughs> and um, we were kind of like, sure, yeah, we'll go to the concert. Cool. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, come on, we just want to follow the girls. You want to hang out with the girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they used to call that missionary dating. Um, <laughs> So they were like, hey, do you want to come to do you want to come to church? And of course, none of us really wanted to go to church at all. <laughs> I mean, we just wanted to go hang out with cute chicks. So they called it it was like was it a con it was it actually a concert? Like what did they advertise it, it was, as a it, concert? Yeah, they would always Okay. That was kind of that part of that Christian. How do they draw them in to concert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's an evangelistic So outreach. you're going to the concert. It's kind of like a what do they call it? Like a bait and switch or whatever, like they're like, hey, it's a cool concert with this rock band. And you get there and they're like, here's Jesus. I love funny. it. Yeah, love like, it. <laughs> we're not really good at Strap that. Strap them in. I'm just kidding. So you go with the, so we go to the, the concert. Girls. So yeah. So we go to the concert. I, 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 even, I even think I'm sitting in the front row with my friends. My brother's there. Um, all of our close friends are there. And the girls, I remember sitting over on the side. You do that thing where you're kind of looking over at them and you're kind of listening to the message and listening to the music. The music's pretty good. You know, it's like. Back then, you would think, well, if it's Christian music, it sucks. It's like the most horrible, th it's a horrible, like, copycat of, of, of whatever, secular music, whatever. I hate the terms, but you have this sort of religious music and this secular music, and Christian music typically sucks. This wasn't that bad, you know? So we're listening to it. They're rocking out, and then there's always that pause, and it's like, hey, we're here to tell you that uh, not only are we a rock band, but we love Jesus. And do you know Jesus? And then they going to tell a story about how they would, you know, in their younger years of being um, a musician, they were doing drugs and sleeping around mm. and chasing women, just like some of us kids today. We're just here because the girls are here, you know, that kind of thing, you know. Well, we were chasing women too, and it led us astray, and they give this this life story. We Now we, we know Christians call it testimony. They, mm -hmm. they begin to testify and tell their life story. So anyway... It was to the point to where he began to talk about God the Father and how, uh, as Christians, we can know that we can have peace with God and that we can have a Heavenly Father, that everything else just disappeared. So at that time in my life, I was just struggling emotionally with the fact that I didn't have a, I didn't have a relationship with my, with my dad. At that point in your life. At that point in my life. I had spent summers with him. I loved him. He was amazing. He was a larger-in-life figure, but he was very distant. He was far mm -hmm. away. Um, I didn't have a relationship with, as, with my dad. And we came from a dysfunctional background, and we moved to this little town where everyone has a dad that coaches baseball. Yeah. Everyone's dad coaches the football everyone, uh, the football team. Everyone's dad coaches the basketball team. Everyone's doing everything together. Yeah. I mean, we were the poor kids, you know, uh, that lived in the welfare apartments in Jackson. And all of our friends seemed to have money. Mm. And, and, and I remember thinking we were so poor that I remember thinking everyone around us was rich because they could afford braces. Oh, my God. You know, and we were poor, so we couldn't afford the braces. We couldn't afford braces. I remember that as a kid. So here we are. I have no dad. All my friends have dads. We're poor. All of our friends own businesses. Mm -hmm. 
And it just, it, and I remember this guy was saying like, you can have a father, you can know the love of a father. And I was just like, I want that. Mm-hmm. He, he was saying, you know, you can know today that, you know, all the troubles of this world will pass away and that you will have riches and that you will have a life in heaven. It's like those, you know, of peace and, 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 and you know, whatever. The, the, the typical approach that they would do at these, these religious concerts, these outreaches. And I'm not trying to downplay that. It's just part of me today thinks it's like uh, it's a marketing tool for the church. But anyway, so I'm sitting there and my heart is just broken because all I've ever wanted was a dad that loved me. All I ever wanted was a father to care for me. All I ever wanted was to know the love of my father. And here's this man saying, if you accept Jesus today, you can know that. And so he, uh, so the, the, the singer, the, the, the singer, the pastor, whoever it was that was leading this, this group of musicians asked us to pray if we want to know these things and if we want to know Jesus. And so we prayed. And I remember I was like, come on, guys, let's pray. Come on, guys, let's pray. And I remember raising my hand and I, I think they even said, you, you know, if you, if you want to know that uh, you're going to go to heaven, you know, you can go in the back and talk to counselors. And I just, I remember jumping up and I remember mm-hmm. one of the girls that was there, they're like, Jason jumped up. Oh my gosh, Jason's going in the back, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember my friend Troy was there and he went with me. <clears throat> and I don't know if he went with me just to support me or just because he thought it was trippy and he wanted to see what would happen when we went <laughs> back. But if you're a Christian, you've been in any kind of outreach, you know, uh, you know that uh, you just basically go back and you talk to some more seasoned uh, Christian who's going to uh, kind of pray with you and ask you, do you know what you just did? So we go to the back. I meet with a counselor who's probably like some form of youth volunteer worker at the church. And they, again, preach the gospel message. Christ died for your sins, blah, blah, blah. You know, do you want to know that you're going to heaven? Yes, I do. Um, okay. You know, say this prayer, repeat after me. I did that. And the ironic thing was I literally felt as though the weight of the world had lifted off my shoulders. I had never felt such peace. In that moment. Like you felt that the like the weight tangible, like like I could that's the only way I could say it is I could feel a release of emotional baggage and pain and hurt and, and trauma. And that all in the world was made right at that very moment. If there was a salvific uh, feeling, you know, if there was a feeling to being saved, I felt it. Mm. There was such joy and peace. And uh, I mean, it was amazing. At that moment, I just knew. And I remember, I remember bawling. I was bawling and crying. And I remember I I asked the the counselor, um, or I said to the counselor something, so I can have a, I can have a father. I can have a dad. I'm going to have a heavenly father. And he's like, yes, you're going to live with your heavenly father for all eternity. And you're going to go to heaven. And, and yes, you know, and I remember just crying and being so happy. He's like, I have a dad. I finally have a dad. I have a dad. And even now it, it stirs those memories. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah. And so I look over at my buddy, Troy and he's fake crying. And I kind of know he's fake. He's crying. fake crying. He's, he's fake crying. crying. He's fake crying. Because <laughs> he said he saw Stop me crying. It. And he he did. I should look That's him up on social friend. media. <laughs> <laughs> I should look him up on social media. I think he did hit me up recently on social media. Shut talk. up. He's yeah. fake crying. He was kind of fake crying. He was, he was, he was like in the classic. Like, <laughs> oh. And I was afterwards. Anyway. So afterwards they kind of, I mean, it's weird when you're, when you're young because I remember standing up and then 
you know, afterwards you, you break cause you're, you're in the back of some, yeah. you know, office and you're on a chair or couch, wherever we're at. And then they're like, okay guys, well, you know, we want to give you a Bible and we want to, they give you a pamphlet or something and it'll give you like the schedule of like the junior high group meets on Wednesday night mm. at six 30 or whatever. Right. They give us those type of things. And then, um, and they give you a Bible, right? They gave me this, mm-hmm. the guest Bible, well, not the guest Bible. What do they call it? The new, new believers Bible yeah. or, or just whatever that free Bible is. The churches always buy like the 99 cent Bibles to hand out to people. Right. They're, and they, uh, yeah, I think it's called the New Believer Bible or something. Well, nowadays they have all these. Now they have fancy ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. They have all these Bibles that they're prepackaged and you're supposed to give to people. And they'll have little question and answers inside for people who, who want to know more about the faith. Um, but back then it was just a blue, baby blue Bible. So they gave, it, gave me this baby blue Bible. And I remember being so stoked. I mean, I am stoked that I have the Word of God, like these miraculous, like life-changing, life-altering uh, words, mm-hmm. you know, and I got this blue Bible. And then I remember being so stoked. I go outside and we're about to leave, me and my buddies. And uh, my brother and a bunch, there's like four or five of us. And they're like, well, Jason was back there. Oh, you went back there. What'd they do? And they just make fun. Like, what'd they do? They, you know, they brainwash you. You know, it's like, this is so weird. I'm glad we're out of there, you know, you know, forget those girls. They're not worth it. I'm not. And I'm like, wait a minute, you guys. Did you hear what he said? Like, you can go to heaven. Like, don't you know you want to go to heaven? Don't you guys want to go to heaven? And they're like, that stuff's fake. It's fake. And I'm like, what do you mean it's fake? Like, I can, we can have a father. Like, I, I, I've never had a dad. Like, I get to have a dad now. Like, mm-hmm. what do you guys think? And they're like, whatever. You know, like, and then they made fun of my Bible and uh, for being blue. And they said, you got the girl's Bible. Um, they made some other horrible comments that I won't, I won't say here. Uh but yeah, they just made fun of my Bible. And I'm looking down at my Bible going, it is, it's it's a girl's color. Like it's baby blue. It's like they gave me the girl's Bible. I got the girl's Bible. And they began to tease me. And and then I think, I don't remember if Troy said, you know, Jason was crying, but it came out, you know, hey, I was back there and I was crying. And they were like, oh, wow, wow, you know, whatever, making fun of me. And so we we went about the night. Somehow we made it home. Later that evening, we made it home. And I get, get back to the house, get back to the, our apartment. And uh, we had this little trash can in our room, and I remember holding that Bible in my hand, and being like, "I got the, I got a girl's Bible," and I remember being so angry, not angry, I remember being so embarrassed and hurt, and in my heart, I didn't understand like this, this disconnect between the legitimate spiritual experience that I, that 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 had taken place, mm-hmm. and yet this desire to fit in and belong with the with the group in the crowd and i was so torn and i felt so foolish and so stupid not because of the faith decision that had taken place but because i i it was more like i'm so you know i'm just such an idiot i don't i don't fit in everyone's making fun of me i don't want to be made fun of yeah and i remember just throwing the bible in the trash can in my room and just hating that thing for being the color it was not for the words inside of it, but just because the color on the outside of the, you know, the body. Like the cover, yeah. Yeah, the cover. Because, well, I feel like people face that, the criticism. It's like you're, you're, you you're you walked out of that back room to back to your friends. You were on cloud nine. like, And you. it's hard because people, you want to share that with people, the people you love, the people you're closest with. Like you should have came in the back room with me, but you're going to be criticized when – 
I feel like that even now, there's still times where you, you will be criticized for the choices you make in your faith. Mm-hmm. But man, tw- how old do you think you were? What grade you were you think you were in? I must have been 13. 13, mm-hmm. and you threw, your, that was your first Bible, probably, right? First sure. Bible you had? Right. Yeah. You didn't have another one? So after that point, you now know, you now you know that this could be, that God is, could be your Heavenly Father. Like, it's, and you chose to follow him that night, like, but you threw your Bible away. So how did that, did you face conflict like within yourself? Like, I can't believe I threw my Bible away. I wish I could have read it. Like what, after that, how did you feel like? Yeah, no, it was rough. I mean, I, I, well, I, I want to say there was one or two other meetings with those girls where mm-hmm. they, they, let's say they brought us on a, a scavenger hunt, like a youth night scavenger hunt. And there was still this longing for me to, to pursue uh, those spiritual things. But because of the external influences from friends and at a time to where I think, I want to say we're talking 1985 or 86, maybe 86, somewhere in there. I can't mid eighties when this was taking place, my friends were starting to smoke marijuana, get high in junior high in junior high. Yeah. And, uh, I want to say even right soon after that, right around the same time, they were they were beginning to sleep around and and uh, you know have sex and mm-hmm. everything else in junior high. So we're talking mid eighties, late eighties, Amador County, and my friends are starting to smoke pot, get high, and and have sex. And so you know there's just no room for me to have a little baby blue Bible. Yeah. And at the same time, so I would, I would begin to I would begin to act as though I didn't believe. Like, the, or you were following how I was a follower. Yeah, yeah, I was a follower. And so I'd want to hang out. But my older brother, Daniel, would always say, like, don't let Jason smoke that or don't let Jason drink that or mm-hmm. don't let Jason do that. He can't. He's not allowed to do that. So he would always kind of protect me because I was always kind of a – maybe I was a little more naive at the time. I was always a very scared, afraid kid, even as an adult, deal with the same sort of issues, a lot of fear, a lot of – a lot of just being nervous, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember at that time, like, oh, I can do it. I can do those things. I, I wanted to do those things so bad to prove that I wasn't this. I, I wanted to prove that I was either tougher or more experienced or not as naive as I was. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully because I don't want to be, I, I actually don't want to be offensive, but there were some things said at the time that are considered offensive now that weren't sure. Yeah. Just different yeah. language or yeah, yeah, the exactly. terms, terms are yes, just different terms, now. Exactly, yes. Yeah. You just wouldn't do it today. <laughs> uh, don't be a such and such or don't act like a whatever. Yeah. So anyway, um, I remember laying in bed at night, just to get back to your, I think your original question or your point, I'd lay in bed at night and I would say, please God, forgive me. You know, I really believe in you. Mm. I have a hard time acting it out in front of other people, but one day, God, one day I'm going to come back around and you're going to see that I do believe in you. Please be patient with me, God. Please be patient with me. And I would pray something like that <laughs> often, very often, especially after eventually into high school when I began to get drunk or get, get high or whatever. Um, I would always go back to my bed late at night and say, God, you know I believe in you. I really do. You know I do. So you felt like a conviction during those um, years in your life where you were kind of getting into more like a – rougher partying scene you felt conviction although you didn't attend you didn't attend church regularly kind of like how my versus my story of where i felt conviction it was kind of pressed into me from along like from 
like my childhood going to church every single Sunday, like I felt conviction because stuff like that. I just, I went to church regularly and, and you, but like for you, you still felt conviction although you didn't regularly like have someone kind of telling you what is right and what's wrong, which kind of just speaks to me in a cool way because I would call that a relationship with the Lord that you wanted to form. And, and that's what caused you to feel convicted. Like mm-hmm. was that relationship that was forming and that you wanted, you wanted a heavenly father. And so now let's say you're getting into high school, mm-hmm. um, early adult, and you're getting into some trouble, right, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of trouble. I mean, I don't know how in depth you want me to go, but I mean, I can I can go as as much or as little as you want me to. So, what do you want to say? What do you want me to say? I want to say how kind of situations you. Well, I don't know. You don't need to talk about the the rough part if you don't want to talk about the rough parts. But where, how far you went away, mm-hmm. and how you kind of drew back. I would say there was a time in my life where I was dating a young lady and this young lady's mom was a Christian woman. And so she, I remember her um, asking us if we want to do a Bible study. The ironic thing is she went to Warehouse Ministries at the time. She was going to that church. And so I'm in high school. We're mid-teens, late teens, whatever. Um, The mother is asking us if we would like to go to a Bible study or do a Bible study. And I remember my girlfriend at the time was like, no, I I don't want to do that, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I remember part of me was yes. And I remember even, mm-hmm. I, I might've even said to the mom at the time, like, oh, I went to that church a couple of times, blah, blah, blah. And I remember talking to my girlfriend and being like, hey, you know, I, you know, why not? Why don't we just do it? And mm-hmm. there was always that tug in me. I towards, love that. I love that. Faith, but also uh, pushing it away. So without going too far into detail, I will say that, um, uh, some really bad things uh, took place mm-hmm. and then and then the consequences of the things that had taken place in this relationship um, led me down a path of like uh, just dark despair mm-hmm. um, and what really hit me was some of the decisions that we made as teenagers um, um, basically uh I'm just wondering whether or not I should go into detail. I'm probably not because we live in a small town. But um, the bottom line is mm-hmm. the decisions we made uh, led to pain. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking because of the decisions that we had made, I couldn't understand why a young Christian woman at the time, and I thought, you know, she comes from a Christian family. How could she make this decision to go through with this act or whatever? And then I was complicit in the act. And... And, uh, and basically we had an abortion, mm-hmm. you know, we had an abortion and because of having that abortion, it just, it killed me Yeah. because even though at the time I wasn't a, uh, quote unquote Christian, right. I wasn't living for the Lord that, that act and, 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 and determination of a pregnancy at that time had such a huge impact on me. I, I felt as though I had crossed a, a line that I didn't even understand. And then there was this other thing of like, how could a, a, a young lady, uh, a young Christian person of faith who comes from a good, you know, home and a solid home and violate her own conscience that way? And listen, this isn't an argument of pro-life versus pro-choice. This is a dilemma that a young man was facing at the time. 
that and went, I can't that understand. You. Yeah, and I can't understand what a young lady's going through. Mm-hmm. And this is not a judgment call. This is just something that, whatever it might be in your personal life, whatever it is in your personal life that you cross a boundary that you might not even know exists yet, that struggle that it causes, that war within you, um, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And. And that, that hurt. It, 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 I, I had violated something that I didn't even know. I had crossed the line that I didn't even know I had. Mm. Um, and in that, it set me over the edge. And I became violent. I became abusive. I was, uh, an, a, basically, I was physically abusive. I was mentally abusive. I was emotionally abusive. And what I realize now as an adult, uh, 50 years old, is that that, trauma from childhood was always bubbling under the surface Mm -hmm. and it just took this thing um, to have it boil over and then all the rage and pain and chaos that was within me began began um, rising to the surface and I took it out on everyone that was in my way in any way I could and I became physically abusive at a very young age or as a teenager towards uh this individual that i was in a relationship with um towards my family towards anyone that was around me and uh probably within 18 months to two years i was you know i was dropped out of high school okay you dropped out of high school so yeah within 18 months to um to two years probably from from that time uh you know i was dropped out of high school I quit school. Quit school, no job. You know, I had a tenth grade education, I think. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, all my friends were older. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had already gone on to college, and now we're the, you know, I'm a dropout kid in in this small town where everyone knows you. Yeah. And everyone has an idea who you are. You already have a bad reputation. You've already been arrested for fighting and whatever else. Um, you're the small town loser. You know, that's what I felt. That's who. That's who I was. And so I wasn't. I would never say I was a druggie, but I was the kind of guy who began to drink and drink. And if I was drinking and you offered me something, I was going to take it. Mm-hmm. And that's just who I was. So LSD, uh, meth. I mean, I was smoking crack in Amador County. People would drive down to Stockton or Sacramento, buy crack, bring it back up here. We, we were smoking crack in Amador County. Um, I mean, you name it. I mean, I would I would do it. Uh, if you had it, I was so self-destructive and so angry and so hurt. I didn't care. Give it to me. I want it. I'll try it. I'll do anything. Let's do it. And that's kind of my attitude. That was my attitude at the time. So what you went through with that relationship sent it, you, it sent you down a spiral of trauma that you it kind of unleashed this jar of trauma that you had and then that trauma that you probably went through with what you had to deal with i mean that's traumatic as well it's it sent you down a spiral of destruction mm-hmm. and then drugs drinking more and more and then was there now in those still young years, 20s something, 30s, was there a point there where you had a breaking point? Well, I was still a teenager all that time. Oh, so, yeah, I was a teenager and at that time. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so I want to say I was 
18. Oh, because you dropped out. Okay. Yeah, I want to say I was 18 years old, and I had, I don't know if I was on acid or if I was on meth, but I hadn't slept, and I was up all night long. And uh, you don't know this now, but there's a place that used to be called Mike's Inn, and it's the it's the abandoned building right next to Arco gas station. Oh, my gosh. That two-story old abandoned yeah. building. So I had friends By at like Jackson Gate. Yeah, well, that, that, where it's like right go? next to Arco. There's a two-story white building with like boards on the windows. And then there's like Jackson Auto or whatever. Yes, whatever or it is. Or Mountain that, yeah. Auto, yeah. Yeah. So that place, <laughs> I have friends. Is so used, raggedy. I have, I have friends who used to live there. Oh, wow. So, oh, so basically, like, they would just have a little one bedroom place okay. in that upstairs, a little apartment. And like, we had, that was our crash pad. They would have like mattresses on the floor and like 40 ounce bottles of old English malt liquor. And uh, if we needed a place to crash at like two in the morning, because we were just be out wasted on back roads running from cops, hiding out from cops and probably, you know, whatever we thought we were. We thought we were like small town bad boys. Who knows? (laughs) And uh, we would end up back there sometimes because one one or two of our friends lived there. And so we would end up back there and we would just kind of crash on the floor next to them. Mm -hmm. This one particular night I had not slept. I was 18. It was probably Jan- late January, nineteen ninety. I don't remember ninety two. Might be nineteen ninety two. So I was eighteen, not nineteen. I remember that. Okay. Hadn't slept on drugs. Coming down off some okay. type of drugs. I can't tell you. I can't even tell you what kind of drugs I was on. I was on something that kept me up all night. I, I, I want to say, you know, in my mind, I thought I was on acid. Maybe I was on acid. Maybe I wasn't. Okay. I was 18. My aunt lived across uh, in a little place across the street. I don't even know if the house is still there or if they tore it down. So I walk over to my aunt's house and I'm just sitting on her front porch waiting for her. She wasn't home. I'm waiting for her to get home. And uh, she finally gets home and she told me afterwards, she's like, when she saw me, she's like, oh no. Like she just didn't want to deal with me. Mm. And then um, she goes, what's going on? I told her. I was, we were always very open family. You know, so I was doing drugs and blah, 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 whatever. And then, and I'm just like, I just need to stop. I, I want to stop. I, I don't remember how it all went down. I'll have to ask her. And I remember her. I think my other aunt was there. It was my aunt Gina and maybe my aunt Tina as well, her sister and my aunt. And I remember they they sat me down at the kitchen table and they they began to preach to me like, you have to stop this, Jason. And they began to just, they put their hands on my shoulders and I, I think I bowed my head and they just began to. Like it seemed like as a as a young man, like it seemed like they were going to war and prayer. Like they were mm. like, Jesus, we just rebuke, you know. Like they were old school. Like, That's that, you know, like, um, that is a cool like prophets. Like they were like, all evil, you know, yeah. all evil influence come out of his life. And I was like, this is kind of trippy, but I was down, you know. Like yeah, I needed for it. Sure, you know you I, mean? needed it. <laughs> I know people listening are like, uh oh, some weirdos. But yes, amen. Um, in that point in your life, I mean, you probably need, needed it. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, I remember my aunt saying something that that God was going to do a miracle. I, I, I'm paraphrasing because I don't really remember. It was a long time ago. <laughs> like I wasn't even born. I was but uh, I mean, she she basically said that that God was going to destroy the work, you know, the work of Satan in my life, and yeah, it was she, it was right around the corner, it. and I need to be ready for it. Like God is going to destroy the work of Satan and his influence in my life. And I want to say within a matter, if not a week, maybe two weeks later, the very first weekend, I think it was February. I have to look it up on a map or I'm sorry, on a calendar, go back in time on my iPhone. 
But it was like the first weekend in February of 1992. I ended up dying in the backseat of a cop car and being resuscitated in the UC Davis Medical Center. And I remember going back to that aunt, my aunt, and even my grandma from Kentucky, my old Pentecostal grandma, and being like, what was that? What was that? And they were like, you, uh, I remember my grandmother specifically said, uh, it wasn't your time to die. I like that. That God raised you back from the dead because he has a purpose and a plan for your life, Jason. And you need to ask him what that plan is and you need to, you know, uh, press into him, you know, this language, press into him or however, however mm-hmm. it was that she said and, and ask him until he, until he answers you, because obviously you're not meant to die right mm-hmm. now. And, um, and so, yeah, it was that experience of fighting those cops in downtown Sacramento and <laughs> under the influence of meth and acid and, or whatever it was, all, all the things I was on that night. And, um, and yeah, I mean, before there was George Floyd saying, I can't breathe. Uh, I remember telling the cops in Sacramento, like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And you begin to asphyxiate because they have your ankles and your wrists and your ankles tied together and you're on meth. And so your heart's racing. You just fought six to eight cops. Um, I can't catch my breath. I couldn't breathe. And uh, I remember them saying, like, and I remember asking, like, hey, guys, please untie me. Like rides over, please. I, I need I need to breathe. I can't breathe, please. And I remember them thinking like the ride's not over for you, buddy. It's just beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I went black. Everything went black. And uh, came to. I remember hearing a doctor say, "We got him. He's breathing." And then I started swinging on whoever was there. Oh my gosh! They shot me full of Thorazine and shackled me down to a bed. And uh, the cops said because of what had taken place and because there was a. Because I basically had expired in the backseat of a cop car, I died. And they were, I was resuscitated at the UC Davis Medical Center. The cops were like, we want no part of it because things were happening at that time. People were dying, you know, criminals were dying in, in police uh, custody. And I think at that time, they just didn't want any part of it. That's what I always wondered. I'm like, how did you still not go to prison? Or But so basically, they were just like, okay. like They had one, there was one officer that, that stuck around to the next day. And he came, I was still shackled down to a hospital bed in UC Davis. And he said, uh, hey, we're not, you know, I think the nurse said the officers aren't going to press charges. No one wants to press charges. Um, but there's an officer here. He would like to speak with you. And I remember he came forward and he said, uh, you know, one question I have, you know, do you remember last night? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, what were you on? And I was like, marijuana. He's like, that's it? I'm like, um, like I was trying to remember. I was like, meth. He's like, is that it? And I knew some of my friends were on on acid ILSD. I actually, now that I look back at it, I don't think I was on acid. I was just on a really good speed and, uh, or really bad speed, depending on how you look at it. Um, and I just told him, he goes, I remember him thinking, we thought you were on PCP. And I was what like, the heck is that? <laughs> I was like, no, I definitely wasn't on PCP. I had smoked PCP, but it's oh not that night. Um, oh my goodness. That's so anyway. a, that in itself that you didn't ever go to prison was just was that was a part of what God was having in plan like set for you because you should have gone to prison for sure or jail. Well, I don't you know if I would have yeah, been arrested, maybe assault on a police officer. I don't know what the charges. I don't know what they're called, but but basically, yeah. So that was um, I don't know where we're at in the story, but 
my point is, I bring that up to say, I'm I'm still 18 years old. I'm in an altercation with multiple multiple police officers. I think they'd end up calling my house. Somehow they got my number. It's a whole other story. I'll have to get into it at a different time. But I think there was, in my mind, I remember six officers. I think they told my mom there was eight officers involved. So somewhere between six to eight officers. And uh, yeah, I'm very lucky. I never went to jail for that. Yeah, for sure. And But I will say, going back, talk when that when I get released from the hospital. That's the other thing, too. They said, you're 18 years old. They're not pressing charges. There's nothing we can do. So at you're 18, you you can sign yourself out. And I remember thinking that I want to sign myself out. And they're like, you should stay for a few days. I think they want to do a psychiatric hold on me, really. Mm. But they said, uh, we want to observe you. We don't know how long you're without oxygen to your brain. Oh, you know, because there could have been damage. There could have been damage. For sure. And I said, like, I don't care. Like, I want to sign my, if I'm, can I sign myself out? They're like, yes. And I don't need my parents' signature and think, no, you're 18, you're an adult. I said, okay, give me the paperwork. And I remember they took them, you know, a while. They brought me the paperwork. I signed it out. And I called some friends. They came down and picked me up. And uh, I said, take me home. And I think I ended up going to my buddy's house. And it was now our neighbor, so I'll go ask him the next time I see him. Um, and I think I slept for like two days at his house after oh that. God. I don't, you know, I have to ask him. But I remember waking up a couple days later, a day and a half later, two days later. He's, I've heard people say like, oh, you slept for three days, dude. I'm like, I don't remember any of that. I just remember <laughs> I slept for a few days. And then my point in all that, oh, sorry, my point in all that is to say that inc- incident is what really at 18 years old is what made me gay, say, okay, that prayer with my aunt while I sat there with no sleep and a week or so later this taking place, like, I want to know, like, is this, is this God real? Is this really, is this, is this real? And it brought me back to where I yeah, was. Yeah, so like that's 13. how far you got out. That was a five-year span between the time the girls brought me to the concert mm-hmm. and that time with the cops, excuse me, in UC Davis Medical Center was five years of hell. It was a, it was a five-year span of absolute madness and chaos. Yeah, I had had friends arrested during that time, you name it. I had friends arrested through fighting and everything else. I had, I was physically abusive towards a young lady that I cared for. I mean, you, the absolute madness that was in, I was self-destructive. I was going around with knives. I was slashed tires. Oh my God. I would, you know, if the door was unlocked on a vehicle, I would jump inside and cut the seats all up. Oh my goodness. Uh, I was a mess. I, I was a horrible, yeah, it was a horrible mess. So... But you still longed. That's what you still longed for that. You felt appalling still. At that, well, especially after that incident with UC Davis, getting out of UC Davis and, and whenever it was that I finally made it home, that's when I began to say, okay, I'm going to find out who this is. Still smoked pot, still got high, uh, except now I would get high and read a Bible. Oh my God. Yeah, I would get high and read a Bible. And it was like the coolest thing I, at the time. I'm not. I'm not saying go get high and read your Bible. You get more out of it, but you might. (laughs) You might get more out of the Bible high than you will at your local church today, just being honest. But can't uh, say that. (laughs) Anyway, um, make note of that at 14. I did. I already (laughs) took it down. (laughs) Don't delete it, though.
people want authenticity in this world today. Taking that out. I'm just kidding. Um, Not kidding. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know where we're at. Go ahead. Basically, how you drew back in. So all that time, five years. Now you start reading your Bible. I mean, you were stoned, but okay. you were reading your Bible. But I'll try to do a really quick version of this. So that was February 2002. Sorry. That was February 1992. Wow. Uh, something happened. Like, it, it didn't snap me out of it. It didn't like out of my funk, but something happened. Okay. And like so a what shift. I, a shift had taken place. That was definitely a catalyst for change in my life. Um, so I said, okay, now, now what? Well, I'm a high school dropout. Uh, I think I just called the local high school. And I was, mm-hmm. at the time, it was Calaveras County. There's a local continuation high school. You could take a GED. And I remember thinking, okay, like I'm changing my life. I'm, I'm going to do something. Like I just died. You know, I was dead in the backseat of a cop car. You know, like yeah. that was a wake-up call, so to speak. I didn't know that I had probably like 30 more wake-up calls in my life. But at that time, it was a serious <laughs> wake-up call. I called up the school. I'm 18 years old. I'm like, hey, I want to get a GED. I don't want to be a loser my whole life. Because that's my whole thing was I'm a loser, man. Like. I'm a loser from a long history of losers. I'm like, you know, fifth generation loser kind of thing, whatever in my mind, you know, that's who I am. I didn't realize that there was hope. Didn't realize you could change. And so, I mean, it was like overnight, I got a GED from a GED. I got a, uh, uh, some friends of mine were like, just go to community college. I'm like, yeah, I could do that. A kid like me, no money. Yeah, man, fill out paperwork. So I fill out some paperwork. Next thing you know, like, you can find out about these things called grants. You can go to college. Mm-hmm. You can get financial aid. All my friends at the time were moving up to Chico. They have a, Butte, uh, a community college in Oroville called Butte College. I can mm-hmm. live in Chico and go to Butte College. Uh, and then the young lady that I had broken up with and wasn't with anymore, she now it's hitting summer now or right at summertime, May or June, a couple months later. Um, she had moved home for the summer. And we started dating again, talking, whatever. And uh, by August, I had moved to Oroville or moved to Chico and started going to Butte College in Oroville. And I'm sitting in a class. To fast forward a little bit to the college semester starting, I'm sitting in class. And next to me is this kid who's in you know, some type of college algebra class, algebra one, whatever it was. And next to me is this kid. His brother's running the uh, Christian club on campus. Mm-hmm. And we began to chat and I said, do you ever go to it? And he said, no, man, like I'm getting high with this kid, you know? And, uh, he's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. And I'm looking at the guy going, he looks normal. He's like a normal kid from like Glendale, you know, Pasadena area. <laughs> and his brother, I'd seen him around. He's a normal looking dude. How can they be Christians? Cause normal looking dudes aren't Christians. Those are like the weirdo kids, like the dorky kids. That's what I remember thinking at the time. But these guys were normal. Like, how can you be normal and be a Christian? And he goes, I'll introduce you to my brother. You can ask him about it. So I met his brother who was running the Christian club on campus at Butte College at the time in 1992. It's probably September 1992. And uh, and he brought me to the little Christian meetings. I think we went to like a bowling alley. We did a bunch of different little things, people's houses. And they prayed with me again. Mm. And then I remember being drunk in Chico at the park and this little girl, this cute little college girl walks up to me and she just began to preach the gospel to me. And I'm looking at her and I remember I'm hanging on every word and this guy walks up behind her 
and says, hey, leave him alone. Can't you just tell he's just wasted? He's just drunk. And I remember looking at the guy going, stop. Don't talk to her that way. And I said, go ahead, please keep talking. And she just kept preaching the gospel. And I remember I hung on every single word. And I, what's ironic is occasionally, like even like right now when I think about her, I still pray for her. Mm. And I found the church that she went to up there. And I remember, no I remember calling them years later. Yeah, I called them when we lived in Stockton. When we moved back to Stockton, I called that church. And I said, hey, I want to tell you a story. And they're like, thank you so much for telling us that story. Because so often we feel like that one girl talking to some drunk college kid. And it's never going to uh, make a difference. And so, uh, so anyway, yeah, it's Calvary Chapel Chico. Calvary Chapel Chico at the time, I remember talking to them. And so there was all this influence while in Chico. And then finally, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to church. And I was still abusive. And I, I had started drinking again because I had stopped drinking after that incident for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, but I had not yet gone to church yet. And then I go to this church, this Christian organization at Butte College, meet these guys, um, get preached at at the park by that girl. Um, and then went back to my, my, I think we had broken up or something at the time because I was such a jerk. And I said, Hey, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to move home at the end of the semester and I'm going to go back to church. And I remember she said, if you're going to go to church, because my family went to like a Pentecostal church or something in Amador County. I'll, it's still around. I won't mention it now, but mm. anyway, she. I remember her saying, if you're going to move home and go to church, well, actually at first she said, don't move home and go to church. You're going to end up being a loser. And my dad will be right. He'll always, he always said, you're going to end up being a loser. And if you move home, you're going to be a loser. And I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. God's going to change my life. God's going to help me or whatever it was at the time. And she said, okay, well, if you're going to move home and go to church, cause she had, she wanted, still wanted nothing to do with church at the time. She said, then don't go to your parents' crazy church or your mom, your family's she, crazy she church. Said that. Oh my she goes, gosh. go to my mom's church. At least, you know, my mom would be there. At least it's a good church or my mom wouldn't go. And I remember, oh, I said, okay. So when I get back, guess what church it is? It's Warehouse Ministries. Warehouse Ministries. Yeah. And guess who was there? <laughs> guess who was there? <laughs> so anyway, I'm 19. I don't know how church works. I just literally, I think, opened a phone book and it, I looked up Warehouse Ministries Jackson. I'm like, yeah, I know that church. I went there when you I was a kid. You went there when you were a kid. And so I just called him up. I'm like, hi, I'm 19. I just came home from college. I just became a Christian, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Do you have anything for people my age? And they said, no, but you've only been, you, you're you technically only like a year older than some of the kids at our youth group. Why don't you just show up to our youth group and hang out with the youth pastor, Mark Johnson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and yeah, you know, something along those lines. So I ended up just showing up to youth group one night and yeah. Yeah, my mom it. was there. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. mom was there and you we met my mom. Uh, yeah, eventually I met your mother. <sighs> That's just a crazy, it's just crazy how far, how far you can go away from the Lord, but how how when you long for him, he longs for you and he can always bring you back home. And I just love that. I feel like that's a similar story from what happened with me too. I just, you can just go so far, but you can always just have that pull, like come back to me. You, cause he is your heavenly father. He's my heavenly father. And he come back home to me, daughter, son. And that's how it feels. And I just love, I love that. Although you had to go through a lot of pain and hurts, it brought you back to 
to know the Lord and to to long for him. And later you went to Bible college, you married my mom and you guys had your kids and your wonderful family and, and a crazy family. And, yeah. <laughs> but still, um, crazy. still crazy, but I do, I'm going to ask you one more question before we close or you say anything else. Um, what advice would you give someone maybe like you, maybe like me, um, like you when you're a child who's who's longing for a relationship with the Lord, maybe far, maybe kind of far away from it, but wants to wants to build a relationship with the Lord. What advice would you give someone? Yeah, it's, I really have to think about that. But what I will say this: in my darkest moments, it was the voice of my mom from my earliest years, as crazy as my mom could be and as dysfunctional as my life was. And, and I, you know me, I'm still dysfunctional to this day. At my darkest moment, I remember hearing my mom say, if you're ever in a time of need and you don't know where to turn, you can always call upon the name of Jesus. And he, I remember and he will that. hear you. And so I think, and he will hear you. I think there is an idea that if, if someone is, questioning or they want to know then i would say call out to him seek yes. him knock on the door until you get an answer but don't stop we don't i don't believe that we ever come to the father or we we ever learn who he is or find out about him on our own mm -hmm. he's the one pursuing us mm -hmm. we don't pursue him it's not our nature our nature is to serve ourselves. Mm -hmm. Our nature is to absolutely do whatever it is that feels good or whatever it is that brings us uh, some, some, some sort of, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Like substitute for what we should be finding in him is what I'm really trying to get at. Yeah. To fill the void, to fill the void. And so the only reason we even have a desire to seek him is because he's calling our name. He's seeking mm -hmm. us. He says, that. no man comes to the father unless he is drawn. Yes. And so I, I just pray and I ask that if, if there's anyone out there that is going through that moment and doesn't know where to turn, they can call upon the name of Jesus. And the answer might not be instantaneous or it might, because it is for some. For me, it's been years and I'm still calling on his name. And I'm still fighting. And like your mom says, like, I'm still an 18 year old kid mm -hmm. facing off with eight cops. And your mom will tell me often, Jason, just die. Let the old man pass away. Yeah. Let the newness of Christ be, be brought forth. I, love, I actually love that. And there is something to that. Jesus yeah. said, follow me. Mm -hmm. Where was he going? To the he was going to the cross. If we're following him, where are we to go? It's just like crucify yourself, crucify your flesh, lay it down. Mm -hmm. He will give you new life. You will be resurrected. That's the picture of me at UC Davis Medical Center all those years ago. Uh, that I'm still fighting him today. I'm still fighting those around me today. I'm the son of chaos. That's what they call me at work. You're the son, son of chaos. <laughs> but we do know that Jesus is a is a Lord of peace. Yeah, Prince of Peace. And so if you need peace in your life, my advice is just call out to him who brings peace. He is our peace. And so call out to him. I still am at 50. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. 
That I really love that. You closed that perfectly, didn't even have to say a thing. That's why I had him on today. I'm just lazy today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, Dad, for coming on here. I'd love to have you on again. Good. And I hope this speaks to people. Thank you guys for listening. Like my dad said, just call out to him because he is also calling out to you. And, and he always is. And I just love that. Um, let me know in the comments if you have any questions, if who, who you want me to interview next, or if you want have any questions you want me to answer. And thank you guys again. Have a great day. Love you all.